All right, I'm going to have you join me in the book of Galatians, chapter number 4. Spending a few weeks together in this place, talking about the fullness of the times. And uh, chapter 4, verse number 4 of Galatians. And I'm going to have you do one other thing when you finally find Galatians 4. And that is to work your way over to Romans chapter number 5, verse 6, and just put in a bookmark there. All right? Romans 5, 6, you need a bookmark. We're going to be talking about it just for a minute here at the start, and then again toward the end. And it's easier just to flip it if you keep your bookmark there. Your bulletin will serve as a good bookmark if you need that. Of course, I can't help you, Anthony, however you push those buttons. But uh, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now just flip over to Romans for a second. Chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Heavenly Father, your word says many, many things. It covers every aspect of life, covers every aspect of history. From beginning to end, it speaks of you. In the depths and in the heights, it speaks of you. When things have gone completely wrong on this earth, it speaks of you. When things shall go completely right on this earth, we long for that day. It speaks of you. When we get to this place of our study, and we speak about the birth of Christ, all the details that go with that, we read in Matthew or Luke, so many other places, we step back and say, yes. It speaks of you. And I pray today that our hearts are attentive and open and receptive to what it says about you. That we may learn more, trust more, follow you like we should, be encouraged today because of such beautiful, beautiful things you did at the right time. And we rejoice in that. Help us with it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you that phrase, the fullness of time, the right time, in due time, has always intrigued me, and I've I've been looking forward to this chance to share those uh, verses with you that come to my mind when I think of those phrases. And Galatians 4 is the one that does usually. Romans 5 is another that always pricks my attention and says, ha this is a good thing to know. Because as we learn more about time in regard to the first coming of our Savior at His birth, uh, it gives me a greater appreciation for our Lord's control of time. And that's a fascinating thing, because we have a God in this Christmas story we're reading who has omniscience and omnipotence on display. 
And it's a powerful, powerful section to go through. Time. Boy, we live by it, don't we? Clocks, calendars, all these things that we have to operate with and control things with and be sure that at such a time, on such a date, we're here or there or whatever we need to do. Have you ever noticed how that calendar or clock controls us so much? Drives us on? And since I spoke with you last week, I've been to North Carolina and West Virginia and Kentucky. Flew out there and flew back. And it was all about being there on time, where the plane is leaving and all those other things too. And it was kind of interesting because Monday was get it all ready to go time. And there was a lot to to do, everything from getting the dog taken care of uh, to... uh, actually getting my sermon done because I didn't think it was going to fit the rest of the week. If I was coming back Friday night, I wasn't going to get a lot of time. So with that, I would thought, well, all these things getting ready and all the details and the packing and making sure the cat had enough food, you know, and all those kind of things and making sure that I could get up on time, uh, had to be heading for the airport in Oklahoma City, be there about 4.30 in the morning. And it's like, ooh, that's Tuesday. So I suddenly changed, and I said, well, I'll go down and stay with Josh Monday night. So I called him up, made arrangements, took care of that. Can't sleep too much when you're always waiting for the clock to go off. You know, one of those things. And then you get up and charge into the airport, get in there, get in the plane, fly all the way out there. So here I am sitting in North Carolina airport, Charlotte airport, about uh, Tuesday, so about 9.30 or 10 o'clock or so in the morning, and I'm sitting there, and my phone rings, and it's Paul. I said, oh, I didn't know what he wanted. And he says, uh, aren't we having class today? Do you know what I forgot? <laughs> I forgot I taught class all week long. So I had Greek students and Hebrew students all over the place wondering where their teacher was. And here I am just enjoying myself in the airport without even thinking about that. That's what time does to us, doesn't it? It just occupies so much of our thinking that the details are hard on some things. What we didn't know, we found out this morning, was that we left Charlotte Friday by 2.45 or so. We flew out of Charlotte. At 5 o'clock, they had a bomb scare in the Charlotte airport. That would have messed up timing a lot. But they had to work through that. But thank the Lord. You know, some things we're ignorant of, and I'm happy about that. And didn't know all that was about to take place. But here's the point. I have a God who knows. And he's in charge. And I love his omniscience. And I love his omnipotence. And when things around me are just kind of scattered all over the place, he knows. And I, I trust him with all my heart. When we're reading through these passages, that little concept comes to my mind when I see, in the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. Those are precious little words. And as we unpacked it a little bit last week, let's look at it one more time. Verse 4 of chapter 4 in Galatians. We talk about the pleroma, that's the Greek word. The fullness of time, completely full, to the top. Like filling your cup to the brim. It was ready. It was time. And at that time, as it was complete, that time, somebody had to know when it was. 
Somebody had to know that time was coming. Somebody had to know when that time was up. Somebody had to do something when that time came. And that's what Galatians 4.4 says. When that time came, who acted? God. God. What did he do? Sent his son. It's so simple, but it's powerful. God, at the right time, sent his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To what purpose? Verse 5. To redeem. Oh, that's precious. To redeem those who are under the law. And also, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I love that last phrase too. We're going to get to that. We're going to focus more in the center of these two phrases. Uh, Born of a woman. Born under the law. So that he might redeem. That's where we're going to camp a little bit here. But what's fascinating is, in a nutshell, God knew the time. God knew when the time was ready. God had a plan to send his son at that time. Not one minute later, not one minute sooner. God had a plan that his son would be born of a woman. God had a plan that his son would be born under the law which dominated. God had a plan to bring about redemption of others through his son. And he didn't sit in an airport and forget something. Completely, completely, perfectly timed and enacted in every way. Everything was ideal. Everything was just as he had set it up. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son. You want a really fun uh, project to do sometime? Go through the scriptures where it says God sent. Wow, is that a cool study. Let me just give you some highlights and maybe it might prompt your thinking for later. But in Genesis chapter 4, or 45 rather, chapter 45 verse number 5. Here's an episode where there's a young man who has 11 brothers And they decide, let's get rid of him. Well, he had ten at the time, I think. But they sold him. He was carried off into Egypt. There he was put in servitude. There he rose up in servitude a bit. There he got uh, accused of a terrible crime he did not commit. There he ends up in prison. And he's there for some time. And God raised him up again and set him in a position where he ultimately became the second in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. Incredible position. That's a pretty rocky ride to go through. Ups and downs and tough things and all that. And we say, wow, that was tough for a man named Joseph. I like the things he expressed about it. Because when his brothers finally came to Egypt looking for food and then discovering that that's Joseph, their brother, who is providing food for them. Here's his words to them in Genesis 45.5. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, is that a great perspective? A man who has the power to do something in retaliation for all his brothers did. 
he answers with, I have a sovereign God. He sent me here. You know what? That even took away from what they might credit themselves with. Oh, if it wasn't for us, Joseph, he'd never had this job. Of course, they don't bring up that they sold him or anything. But he says, no, God did it. God sent me before you. That's a neat story. Daniel. Remember Daniel? Darius had that rule. Don't pray to anybody but to me. And Daniel prayed anyway to the Lord like his custom was. And the result of that was to be thrown into a lion's den. Daniel's cast into the lion's den. The king did not want to do it. But he had to do it because you know the laws of the Medes and the Persians. You can't change them. So he says, okay, I'll throw you in. The king did not sleep that night. Daniel did. What was the difference? It was something that Daniel said. And this is what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. He says, My God sent His angel. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Once again, what a great sovereign and powerful God we have. Daniel says, I could trust him. Yes, I was in a bad spot. (laughs) That could have been my execution right there. God sent his angel. Who was really running the show? It wasn't Darius. And it even wasn't the lion. God. Daniel testifies to that. I'll give you one more. This man grew up in Egypt. Had the opportunity to be a great leader in Egypt chose one day instead to kill an Egyptian taskmaster, ran for his life, spent 40 years out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. God met him at a burning bush. You know his name? It's Moses. And he said to Moses, "Um, you're going back. You're going to go back, and you're going to bring my people out. You know the rest of the story, how Moses argued a little bit, a lot, but he didn't want to do that. But God talked to him. Well, it was a man named Stephen who brought up this part of the story. Stephen, in the book of Acts, chapter number 7. Interestingly enough, Stephen was on trial, so to speak, because they were about to put him to death. And they did. But he quotes a very interesting thing. Stephen said this in Acts chapter 7, verse 35. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent. God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. I love it when people stop and look at history and recognize God's hand in it. God sent. God sent. God sent. I suggest that's a great study if you want it. Just follow those words through Scripture and see what all God has done. It just stops you and says, wow, you were in charge here, and you were in charge there, and you were in charge here. You knew it was coming. You knew what was needed, and you answered the need. Your omniscience, your omnipotence is on display every single time. God sent. God sent. Wasn't it great he did it all at the right time? I mean, Daniel, he couldn't wait 20 minutes, you know. Those lions were hungry. You want proof of that? Read the rest of the story. 
He couldn't wait another 10 years for the Israelites in Egypt. He couldn't wait much longer when you deal with Joseph and his sons. All the things that God did was done at the right time. By the way, he still operates that way. He has never missed an appointment. He has never confused the dates. He has never sat someplace and said, oops, I forgot. He's always, always aware, always omniscient, always omnipotent. When I step into this, these two words in Galatians 4, and I see God sent, it always excites me. Because I examined that little word sent for a little bit. And this isn't hard, this isn't technical, but it is fascinating to me. It's the word ek apostello. Apostello is the word apostle. We get apostle from that. This is the verb form. Ek apostello. Ek is out from. That's a little preposition. It speaks of the source. Where something is coming out from. All right? Ek. It's out from. And apostello is to send on a mission. To dispatch. In other words, if you're going to do this kind of a word, to, to send on a mission, to send away, to do this, you have to have a plan. You don't just send them away without any idea. You have to know where they're going and what they need to do and when they need to do it. But what's fascinating is that little word, ek, in front of it. Because he could have said all of that without the ek. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, the ek speaks of the fact that Christ had to pre-exist for it to happen. You don't send somebody who doesn't exist. You want to follow this with me for a minute? It might just pop some circuits. Okay? He sent forth his son. He sent him away from where they were to here. That means he had to be there first. Make sense? The prior existence. Before Christ was ever born, he existed. He did that, by the way, when he was talking to the Jews one day. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what that meant. They accused him of blasphemy, equating himself to be God of all things. Because any time you talk about pre-existence, you have to go down the road of deity here. And that's exactly what this text is pointing to or presenting to us here. Because the fact is that the son had to exist prior to his birth in order to be sent. God sent him. You know what's neat? You don't see the Savior arguing with him. Not like Moses. <laughs> uh, Lord, don't you have a better plan? Do you have somebody else? I can't speak too well. He didn't do any of that. When God said, I'm sending you, the son said, let's do it. He went. But when the Lord sent him, he also sent him with a purpose, right? It wasn't some random thing. It wasn't, well, they're having trouble down there. Let's see what we can do about this. Why don't you go down and scope it out a little bit and we'll see what we can do. He had a plan. He knew exactly what to do. Matter of fact, how often did Jesus bring that up? I'm here to do my Father's will who sent me. He knew what it was. The Father had a definite plan. As a matter of fact, it wasn't going to happen in any other way. Because how many times did they want to do something to Jesus, and he said, my time has not yet come. He knew the Father's timetable as well. And so here he is, sent with a purpose, dispatched on a mission, sent at the exact moment of the Father's will, right 
when it was right, he sent him. Not too soon, not too late. Those words excite me. I've told you that. When I read it, I said, wow, shows me my God's in control here. But I want to give you another word that God did at the same time. Because if I could just deal with that, I could say, okay, he's good at scheduling. He's good at uh, administration. He, he's good at maneuvering all the events to the right time and all that. And you could say, well, it sounds kind of, you know, structured and scientific and all these other things. But there's something else God did when God sent. And it's in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave. As God sent, he gave. Now take a look at that little phrase just for a thought in your head. God gave. Didomi is a little Greek word for gave. And it has to do with giving something of one's own to another's advantage. Isn't that about as beautiful as you can think it through? God gave. God has given so much. But do you not know that that's also under his control? It was his to give. He gave his only begotten son. His son. He gave. What an incredible act that he would do this to our advantage. He's given so much over the years. Let me give you a sample of this. Again, I, I trace back in the Old Testament. There's another good study. You want to study another two words? Try God gave. And see how many times that pops up in your concordance. But here's a couple of examples. When he talks to about Abraham in Genesis 28 verse 4. He's talking about a blessing he gave to Abraham and his descendants, that you may possess the land of your sojourning, which God gave to Abraham. The land was given to Abraham and his descendants. Not to be political or anything, but it still belongs to them. That's God's gift. God gave of his own initiative, God gave to their advantage, and God never said, I'm taking it back. It's theirs. We have a world that's a little confused on that point. The Bible says it clearly. God gave it to Abraham. In Genesis 30, verse 17, here's a great little story. If you want an interesting story and wonder how this really worked in family reunions, talk about Jacob and his wives and their competition to have children. And sometimes people look at that and read through it and they say, well, you know, I'm kind of rooting for Rachel here. That Leah. That Leah. Do you know what it says of Leah? God gave her her children. Did you know that? It's just a simple phrase, but I thought it was kind of neat. Genesis 30, verse 17. God gave heed to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And you say, oh, you mean God was in charge of that too? Yeah. And why did he do that? It was to her advantage. It was to Jacob's advantage. It was God blessed. God gave. And then you say, okay, but what about Rachel? Same chapter. Chapter 30, about five verses later, verse 22. Oh, and God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb too. God gave her a son. 
And I said, okay, that's really neat. Then I go to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Here's a young man sitting on the throne. Give you a clue. His dad's name was David. Who do you think this might be? Solomon. Solomon's on the throne. He's young. He says, I don't know. This is big job. Big job. The Lord came to him and said, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Ask what you want, and I'll give it to you. What did he ask for? Wisdom to lead these people. And this is what God did in chapter 4, 20, verse 29 of 1 Kings. God gave Solomon wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom. You know, we don't know anything about his report cards in elementary school. He might have got C's and D's all the way through. Where did he get his wisdom? God gave it to him. An act of love. An act of what would benefit him the most. God gave him wisdom and understanding. It goes on to say this. This is a great little verse. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Wow! Here's another great one I like too. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 30, my favorite king in the Old Testament is named Jehoshaphat. Love his story. you got to read it sometime. The only time he ever sent a choir into battle and won. Well, I don't know any other time the choir went. They didn't win. But they did win that time because they were praising the Lord. Oh, that's Jehoshaphat. Well, what it says, though, in verse tw- or chapter 20, verse 30, so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides, even in peace. God is the author of it. God is the provider of it. People do a lot to try to make peace happen. Why don't you talk to the Prince of Peace, the one who's in charge? And that's what he gave. He gave peace at that time. One more in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. Talks about the, the four youths. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their real names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel. Those four. God gave them, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. God gave. God gave. Over and over you find those words together. And they're so refreshing to read. God giving of his own accord to the advantage of the receiver. He gave. He gave. He gave. And I love to read about it. And see these stories where God gave. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I said, boy, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that. If God would just give me a little bit of this or a little bit of that, wouldn't intelligence be a great thing? Most of us, yeah. Or peace or wisdom. Some people pray for children and say, boy, I wish God had given me children or land or whatever. But you know what? I would trade all of that for the salvation he's given to me. God gave me that. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that He gave. Everybody has that opportunity. Everybody has the opportunity to receive what God has given to their advantage, His Son. But He goes to qualify it. Who are the ones who will not perish? Those who believe. So that... Whosoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. 
God gives. God gives. It's a beautiful picture. All the way through Scripture, God gives. And I'm so glad He, he also gave me that step of faith. He gave me that wisdom. He gave me that reaction. He gave me the ability to trust Him and believe Him. He did all that for me. And now I step back and say, wow, God, you have really given me everything. You have. In his omniscience, in his omnipotence, and in his love, God gave and God sent. His son, who existed prior to being born, sent with a purpose, at the exact moment, at the right time, was born of a woman was born of a woman. Now that sounds like it sounds important, doesn't it? We step back from that theologically and say, well, that's probably in reference to the virgin birth of Christ. That was unique, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it is. And there's some good reason for that. We can go through it theologically. And by the way, I believe in it in all my heart. Because God can do that kind of thing. Because here's another thing we find out in Romans chapter 5, by the way. In verse 12, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And verse 14 it says of Romans 5, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. He says, yes, because of Adam. We've had a whole string of sinners. A whole string of sinners. What is the purpose then of a virgin birth? wasn't brought about by a man. It was only miraculous. It's only what God could have done by bypassing. And some people say, well, it wasn't absolutely necessary because, you know, God could have protected the baby Jesus from being sinful. He could have done that. But why pick a virgin birth of all things? Because we don't expect that. It's so unique. Matter of fact, it's so unique that when Mary was being talked to by Gabriel, remember? Gabriel says, you're going to have a child. She says, impossible. (laughs) Not going to happen. I'm not married. It's not going to happen. And he says, oh yes, Don't, don't just look over at Elizabeth, your cousin. She who is elderly is now six months along. Who did that? God did. And he says, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It is possible. Mary said, okay. Wouldn't you like to answer that way to God when he says next time to you, this is impossible. And you say, okay. That means you trust him to do it. He can do what he says. That's amazing. God had a plan that his son would be born by a woman. I think that's important. God had a plan that his son would be born under the law. That's important too. When we talk about the law, we could go back to Romans chapter 3. Talk about that passage. Let me read it to you from verse 10 all the way to verse 20. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongue, they keep on deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And in the path of peace, they don't even know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This law pounded, pounded, pounded on the fact that God is right and man is not. Over and over and over to reveal who we are. You know what our tendency is? Well, if it's always so negative, let's just get rid of it. That's easy. Push it aside. Let's not look at it. Let's not think about it because it speaks so... It condemns us. We don't want that. Let's get rid of it. So Jesus came under the law. Under the law. And they said, oh, great. Push it aside. Get rid of it. He says, no, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. You see, somebody had to fulfill that law because God expected it. No man could do it, but Jesus could. Born under the law. That's all in part of God's plan. God sent him. Though he existed before he was ever born, he was sent. He was sent with that purpose. Dispatched on that mission. At the right time, at the right time, he came, born of a woman. At the right time, he came, born under the law when it dominated. And at that right time, he came to redeem those who were under the law. As we just saw in Romans chapter 3, that would have been us. Whether we acknowledged it or not, we were condemned. We were condemned just like the rest. The Jews had the law. They had it, and they saw it, and they knew they were condemned. But the Gentiles didn't have the law, but they knew they were condemned too. Read through Romans 1 through 4, and you see nobody can stand up and say, Oh, everybody but me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he came to redeem us. Oh, what a precious thing that is. To redeem those who are under the law. To redeem those. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. You know, when you stop and look at these words, and then you go over here to Romans 5, I told you to keep your bookmark there. When you go over to Romans chapter 5, and you look at this verse number 6, this is like the bookends, if you will, on God's big plan. He sent him at the right time. And then it says in verse number 6 of Romans 5, that while we were helpless, (laughs) yes, we were, while we were still helpless, we couldn't do a thing. What's this say? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those nails are not pounded in two minutes too soon. The soldier came to check if he was dead, and it wasn't premature. At the right time, he died. At the right time, he died. Do you know, some of you were saved when you were real little kids, maybe four or five years old. Maybe it was your mom or dad. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was in Sunday school. 
somebody shared with you the gospel and you received the Lord. You've known him for a long, long time. Some of you, it was later in life, in your 20s, in your 30s, maybe your 40s, before suddenly you realized, oh, that's what the gospel's all about. And you came to know Christ as your Savior. Do you know, in either case, it was at the right time? At the right time. God didn't make any mistake in saving you. Do you know that? He calls. He justifies. He predestines. It starts to get big when you start thinking through all these things. You say, really? He did all that? I just heard the gospel and I believed it. What was God doing? He was drawing you to himself. He was redeeming you. He was indwelling you. He was baptizing you in the Spirit. He was sealing you. All these great things. He not only justified you, sanctifies you, He glorifies you. All these things God is doing. Don't tell me He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. Because every miracle is that of salvation. When somebody is saved, that's an act of God. And it's always at the right time. At the right time. That is one testimony we all share in common. We could talk about our past and how we got here and there and all these other things. But all of us can stop and say, God saved me at the right time. Because that's the way God does it. At the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. I think it's such a precious little verse for us to see. At the right time. At the right season. At that due time, God did this. What if God hadn't been in control? What if he hadn't been in control like this? What if he had missed his chance to send his son? What if his son missed the date for the crucifixion? Do you think it would have affected us at all? I think absolutely. Because if God hadn't done this, what was the likelihood that he would have saved us after all? God didn't sit back and wait to see what was going to happen. He didn't sit back and say, let's see what man's going to do first. And then we'll respond to that. All the way through, I see my God is the initiator. He's the one who said, this is the time. He's the one who said, this is the mission. He is the one who said, and this is a person that we're aiming at to redeem them. He thought of all that. There's a beautiful little song we used to sing and I was in church years and years ago as kids. I was in his mind before the worlds began. Like, really? That's an incredible thought. I was in his mind when he went to Calvary. I was in his mind when he died on that cross. I was in his mind when he rose again. I'm in his mind right now. It's a beautiful little song. I don't know if you've ever heard it or seen it. But the whole thing is, he's been thinking about me. It's obvious, isn't it? Just read these texts again and again and again. God's been thinking about you. God's been thinking about you. Because if he hadn't been in charge, where would we be today? I'm very glad to say it, folks. I have an omnipotent God. I have an omniscient God. A God who loves me enough to send His Son. That I rejoice in this season. If we want to break it down to what are we going to rejoice in, let's say that's it. 
Because there's one more verse I want to read to you about time. It's in Second Corinthians, chapter number 6, verse number 2. At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the right time. For us to talk about this, yes. But maybe there's somebody in this room that's never received Christ as Savior. God says, the time is now. The time is now. You can believe Him right now. You can receive Christ right now. You can know what all this is I've been talking about right now. God sent His Son. You can receive that yourself right now as your Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can do that. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. I hope you do that if you haven't done so before. And if you have before, let's rejoice in God's timing. Heavenly Father, you're an amazing God. Thank you so much for what you have done, for setting us again in our right perspective, that your timing is perfect. It's perfect. And I thank you, Lord, for it. I pray, Lord, that you will bless this church family with all the things that we are praying about and concerned about and working through in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, you are sovereign. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. And you love us. Those things we are absolutely convinced of. And so, my time, our time, is in your hand. We rejoice in that today. Thank you for what you're doing. May we be quick to turn back to praise what you show to us. In Jesus' name, amen.